My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Embers to Excellence. My goal is to explore the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. In addition to leadership, I like to discuss mental health, PTSD, and overcoming adversity. If you have a favorite episode, I would love to hear about it. Message me through social media or my website, and I will share some free tools to help you achieve your goals. Please like, subscribe, and leave a review. If you haven't purchased your copy of my book, Fireproof, please grab a copy today. Thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Dia Irby. After moving 15 times through five southern states, Dia, a serial entrepreneur, TEDx speaker, and award-winning author, knows the value of belonging and is on a mission to share her message. Many of us underestimate the importance of belonging and its impact in the workplace and our communities. People who feel like they belong don't just stay, they take ownership and raise everyone to a higher level. Uh, a former tea room owner and operator, Dia published a cookbook, A Dollop and a Pinch, Recipes and Stories from the Baron York. She is a realtor, collector of puns, world traveler, and a lover of truth. Um, her her husband uh, of 48 years and her live in Durham, North Carolina, have eight grown children and 19 grandchildren. Now, um, I, I want to talk to to you, Dia, about your, your leadership strategy called CLAIM. It's an acronym, C-L-A-I-M. Uh, and, uh, you know, been a TEDx speaker and uh, just... I, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. After watching your TEDx talk, um, it, I, I've had some of the very same thoughts that that you discuss in that TEDx talk. You know, where technology has made it so much easier for us to to stay connected to people at a distance, but what it seems to have done is also disconnected us from that that personal touch and that that sense of community that I think uh, brings us together at the dining room table, you know? So uh, anyways, thank you so very much for, for taking the time to have this conversation with me. Uh, welcome. Thank you so much, Dave. I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Yeah, community is what I am about. Totally, belonging. Now, when when you did your TEDx talk, was there was there something that um, you know inspired you to to talk about that? Was it something that you'd been talking about with people prior to giving that talk? I have always been focused on belonging and community. Every TEDx. And I may get off track, I don't know, but every TEDx event has a specific theme. And this particular one was the middle. The organizer had done the, the beginning and the end, and now we wanted to do the middle. And I'd always you know, had on my checklist, my bucket list to do a TEDx talk. And I reached out to him and he liked a lot of what I was saying, but he kept saying it needs to be about the middle. I'm like, okay, I, I know how important it is to eat together. So then we came up with the idea of the coming to the middle between the technology and, and that whole world and then the non-technology. And I don't know if you remember, I made some comment that Snapchat for some may mean sitting on the front porch chatting with grandma while you snap beans. And, you know, how do you bring people together? Because there is power in breaking bread together. It's important. That's why we have bagels in the boardroom. Because I mentioned the study that was done with groups of people and they gave them a challenge to make a decision about something, come to an agreement, and the people that ate the same food, not the exact same food, but took their food from the same plate and had the same food, came to an agreement faster 
than the people that had their own food, but they were sitting there eating. And it's like, yes. And bringing up all of our children, it was the dinner table that uh, that brought us, gave you the opportunity to um, ask, you know, how was your day? Or ask situational questions. Hey, if your friend asked if he could copy your paper on a test, what would you say? Or, you know, have the kids talk about what's going on in their lives and and then also an opportunity to disciple or mentor or train your children in being a good person in the world. That that talk resonated with me so much because you know, my background's in the fire service. And, you know, just about every firefighter out there, you know, I know there's some firehouses where everybody's on a different diet and they go to their separate areas of the station and, you know, eat their, their special food. But every firehouse I ever worked at always tried to make a point of everybody coming together at the dining room table at a particular time and eating together whether everybody was eating something different or the best was when everybody came together and we all ate family style and we just had a great time. And, you know, there's this, and I, I want to say it's universal that firefighters believe that, you know, it's kind of tongue in cheek, but that we can solve all the world's problems at the dining room table, you know? You can, that's totally true. Because you come together and you're sharing this food and you can come to an agreement easier. That's why, and I mentioned in the talk about the Jeffersonian meal, where they were trying to come to a decision about where the capital was going to be and how to pay for the war. And it was the, was it 32 courses? I mean, you're going to be worn out by the end of that. You're going to, okay, okay, I give, I'll do whatever. Uh, But yes, and um, and that's also, you know, around our table, family table, we we would laugh. We would uh, tell jokes or, you know, there's the famous dad jokes that they would hear. Sometimes everybody would just break out into a, a music. And next thing you know, they're using the silverware to to tap on the the chandelier to as a percussion instrument. You know, it's like what? But everybody got to be expressive and involved. And it, we, you have to eat. So why not eat together? Yeah, when you were talking about snapping beans with grandma, I um, you know. I grew up with this guy whose uh, whose mom and dad they they bought a piece of property and uh, had a blueberry farm and uh, I, I believe it was in high school he moved with his family out there to this blueberry farm and in the summers I would go and I would stay and I'd help blue- pick blueberries and his mom had a vegetable garden and so all the vegetables were homegrown there mm. and. It was awesome, but I remember sitting with him and his mom out on the porch, snapping green beans, and it was just, I I don't know, it was was fun. We had really cool conversations, and a lot of times it was just him and I joking around and her laughing at us, and uh, it it was just that good, uh, just a good connection, And, and I don't know, it just gave you a sense of you know, we were always going to be there for one another, you know, uh, it's just something about building those relationships around food. I don't know, there is something magical to it. Well, you're not distracted, you are present and in the moment. Yeah. Because I mean, you have to, you're, you know, you can be thinking about something else, but you're right there. And, and you're not being distracted. Unless I cow gets out and runs by and you got to go. I mean, I grew up on a farm and sometimes you'd get cows out or a horse or whatever, but um, it, everything is so fast paced in our world today. We don't, we feel like that just sitting there snapping beans is not accomplishing something. 
but it is because mm-hmm. we we're not human doings we're human beings and we need to stop and be and be with each other now you, you said that you you grew up on a farm and you know most of the time when i when i start an interview i begin with the beginning and and i kind of skipped over all that so um, can you can you tell me where you were born and raised and you know what some of your early influences were like you know I, I'm guessing your your parents they they ran a farm is that accurate it was more like a ranch my oh, dad thanks. had um, cattle that oh. would moo in the morning and wake me <laughs> why does it have to be right outside my door window no um I grew up in a small Mississippi town. Now, what does small say to you? What population do you think? Um, probably, you know, under 1,500, maybe you know, under 3,000, somewhere around there. 5,000. Okay. And I knew everybody and everybody knew me and I was distantly related to probably everybody in town. <laughs> and uh, one of the Uh, earliest remembrances I have is when I was five sitting in the grass in the front yard of Miss Annie's kindergarten preschool and we were making pink clover necklaces and all those classmates are the same people I graduated from high school with wow so my experience of growing up was being a part of a community and feeling like I really I belonged somewhere. I mean, when I was in high school and I was driving and I needed gas, I'd pull into the gas station and Clyde would come out and clean the windshield and pump the gas and check the oil. And when the tank was full and the hood was down, I'd wave bye and drive off. And he'd write down it on my dad's tab, you know, I mean, because I thought that's how everybody grew up. Everybody belonged somewhere. Everybody was part of a community. And when I say belonging, I don't mean like have a library card. I mean like um, the TV show Cheers. You know, everybody knows your name. I thought that was normal. And after uh, graduate school, my husband and I moved 13 hours away to Central Florida. The city in Polk County. Okay. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anything about the area. And and all of a sudden, I would meet people. And instead of, how's your mama, Neil? I, you know, if you're not from the South, I said, how is your mother and all of the relatives? And tell them I said, hello. Instead, I would get, um, so, you know, I'd say, hi, nice to meet you. I'm Dia, and they'd go, so, and it was like, I don't have, and it was the first time I felt the pain of isolation, you know, like, wow, I don't belong here, and it was from that point that I decided people, I understood that people need to feel like they belong, and everywhere in those 15 moves, we have been I wanted to build a sense of belonging for the people. That's part of what I really loved about my tea room in the North Georgia mountains that I had for seven years. I wanted to be a place where people could escape to this place of excellence. I called it um, an uh, elegant escape on the square and, and just really pamper people and make, make them feel like they matter that they're, they're made for greatness. You you tell a story in, in your TED talk about meeting your husband, <laughs> you know, or or not meeting him, but him asking you out for ice cream. Yes, and that was the catalyst for this fifty year marriage, you know, or, or more. You know, you're still married to him, so <laughs> yes, yes, forty eight years of married blisters. No, I mean. <laughs> Yeah, so, I I mean, the power of coming together over food. Who knew that when he offered to give me a ride home uh, and he said, why don't we stop for ice cream? 
I found out later he never even ate ice cream before. He was just trying to come up with an excuse to not have to take me straight home. Um, so yeah, we enjoyed the ice cream together and I listened to him pontificate for about two hours and and all I would say was, um, yeah. Oh, I can see how you think that. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. so, <laughs> food and listening has power. Yeah, it, you know, when I when I talk to people about leadership and really the, the power of effective communication and that superpower of listening being the the most powerful component of communication, knowing what the other person is saying and, and really understanding where they're coming from to be able to make that connection with them is incredible. And I, and I think that the higher up you go, you know, the, the more people that you lead, the more listening you need to be doing. You are, I totally agree with that. You are absolutely right. Because they have to, people that you're leading have to know they're being heard. And that's one of my um, one of my letters of my claim, if we want to get to that. But I, and and in a, I've got a book coming out, uh, hopefully in January, maybe February. And there's a whole section in there about communication, what what it takes, and listening. If you rearrange the letters for listen, it spells silent. Mm. Isn't that interesting? So you want to listen intently and be, it goes back to snapping uh, beans on the porch, be present, be in the moment and not be thinking of the future, which could be, what am I going to say next when I finish listening to them? Or what do I need to do? Or in the past, well, the last time I talked to them, they had this attitude and, da -da, you know, be in the moment, be present. Yeah, uh, I, I, I actually do want to get to um, the acronym CLAIM. And, but I want to, I want to talk, well, I want to learn a little bit more about how you ended up really passionate about leadership and, and talking about magnetic leadership or, or magnetic leadership strategy. Um, can you, can you talk to me a little bit about that? Like where that comes from and, and I, I'm, I'm trying to piece it together without really knowing you and not really having too many conversations with you. Uh, you know, well, first, you've been married to your husband for 48 years. Is he still working as a as a pastor? He's retired. He's retired. And and so when when you I'm guessing you both went away to college. Mm -hmm. Well, you... I was I I was in college when I had one more year. No, I had two more years when we met. And he was already out and teaching. And uh, was, then... Was he one of your professors? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Actually, we met at the Forest Country Club. We did have a 5,000 people. We did have a country club. I was teaching swimming, and he was the tennis coach for the oh, summer. nice. And I, I met him, and he was like, whatever, because I had to... I was going to Manaka, Wisconsin for the summer to teach swimming and sailing at a summer camp. And uh, we rode and everything while I was gone. And then, then I came back and we dated and got married the next summer. So engaged by December. I mean, when you know, you know. <laughs> now, did he always have intentions of becoming a pastor? No. That summer while I was gone, he uh, he became a new person. So I came home to this new person all fired up about God. And uh, that was pretty exciting because I was a, a 
committed Christian and he was sort of off limits because <laughs> he totally wasn't. And that whole time I was listening to him talk that first time over ice cream, he was explaining to me what was wrong with all the Christians in the world. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, mm, I can see how you think that. Oh, mm -hmm, yeah. And just let him just talk and talk and talk. But while I was gone, he uh, met other people that were serious and fully committed to living according to the word and being nice people and not pretentious or being the choir director that's running a bootlegging company. But <laughs> that was his exposure before I started introducing him to some real people. And uh, so then when I got home from, uh, from camp, here's this, He's legal now. He's 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 not an unbeliever. I can I can and and then I mean he's the kind of guy that if he's gonna do something, he's gonna do it all out. And he had been a, a school teacher and a coach, and now he was like, wait, I have to totally go for this. So he went to seminary and the, his first summer of seminary between old testament and new testament. We got married that summer, and then I had a year left to go, and, and we got married in 74, and by 75, we had our first child. And every, every odd year, for four odd years, we had 75, 77, 79, 81. Then we got an exchange student from Germany. <laughs> and we were done, four, right? Yeah. And uh, But five years later, wait. So then we had uh, 86, 88, 90. We had the three musketeers. We're really done, right? Seven. No. Eight years later, when our oldest was getting married, surprise, um, I'm, I've got a mother of the bride maternity dress. So. <laughs> so eight, eight is enough, right? Eight is enough. Is enough is enough. <laughs> yes. But I tell you what, every single one of them, is making an impact in this world. Number eight, well, we just kind of started giving them numbers, you know. Number eight was born on number six's birthday, and number five was born on number one's birthday. So I only have six birthdays to remember. But uh yeah, so but they're they're just amazing people that the world would have missed out on a lot. They are each made for greatness, meaning they have a special combination of gifts and abilities and talents that only they can bring to the world. Just like you, Dave, you have a special combination of your passion, of your gifts, of your abilities, of the experiences put together that you are going to impact the world with. And if you weren't taking the mic and bringing this to the world, somebody out there is going to be missing what you have to offer. So bring it. So in my career in the fire service, I've had new officers approach me and say, you know, I've worked for you this many years. I've seen how you manage people and you know it seems like I, I keep getting these problem employees and how did you deal with with all of us because I mean you had so and so and you had so and so like how did you deal with them and I was like well don't forget I had you too you know like <laughs> you weren't that easy either so I'm like the 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 comparison here that I would give would I mean, think about your children. You care about them. And if they mess up, if if they need some discipline, you know, as far as like, you need to pay attention to what you're doing, you know, whatever the lesson is, you're going to work with them until they get it because you want them to be successful because you care about them, because you love them. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that is how I think you have to have your mind set on how you're approaching leadership is you have to genuinely care about those people. And once they know how much you care, then, you know, they're more likely to go, okay, I, I can get in line with what you're trying to show me. 
And if they really believe that you care about them, which it has to be genuine or else they're going to know that you don't. Um, when they know that you care, they're more likely to care about what you think of them. And they're going to work really hard to make you happy with their performance. And I'm like, it's really that simple, you know? And, and it's that piece of how you raise your children, I, I think is, to me, that was kind of the breeding ground for my approach to leadership is how I, I worked with my daughter and how much I cared about her and how much I wanted her to be successful. And I hear you talking about your children and how they're so gifted and they're adding value to the world and their, their special ways. And I, I think that's a testament to you and your husband, the, the impact that you had on their lives, not just by how involved you were with them, but your example to them. And I, I just, uh, to me, uh, the question is, was did that play a role in maybe at some point in your life when you're like, you know, I, I think I've got this leadership thing. I want to start teaching people more about leadership and how I approach it. Is that a piece of it? Hindsight is twenty twenty. It's like people would always ask me, um, why have your children lived on six continents? Why are they, you know, I, my, our oldest daughter, they got married. Uh, she, they got married and moved to Brazil for 10 years, uh, working with university students. And, and, and you know, I've had a, a son live in Japan and daughter live in Northern India and son that lived in Crow, all, all over the place. And looking back, I can see, oh, this is how, and this is why, and this was the influence. And it was just like, oh, this is how things, this is what you do. Because there are some people that, and this is great if this is how God has called you to be, just local and you never go anywhere. I mean, I'm, in one sense, I'm sort of jealous of people that they live five minutes from everybody in their family. I don't know if I, anyway, <laughs> 18 grandchildren, five. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, but so I, I, I thought through it and that's why I put together the book, Ray, um, uh, Global Citizens, uh, what is it called? Molding Global Citizens. I've got a, a book, a little booklet, just putting it together because in hindsight, and then as we've gone to each church, the churches that we, my husband pastored, well, we pastored because I was as involved as he was, were either church plants where you have seven people that want a church or church renewal, which is we have this gorgeous big building and we have 17 people coming. So uh, you had to be focused on building community. And uh when I, part of what I contributed in our churches was to develop a drama department and we would put on productions and that has to, you know, lead people and bring everybody together. But as I looked back over it, I realized that how you build community, whether you're leading uh, in your family or leading in a church, or leading in a, a nonprofit or in a corporation or at the fire department, wherever you're leading, there are basic principles because you're leading people and people, people are people, wherever they are. In fact, how you lead yourself is the same principle of the leadership that I teach or whatever group you're leading. I, I always find it fascinating and in volunteer organizations and, and one of the, the best examples is a church when leading the congregation of a church and leading the people that are doing the different jobs within that church, they don't have to, 
<laughs> you know, they'll they'll come and go depending on whether or not they feel they're gaining anything um, spiritually or significantly within their own lives. How how is that experience shaping them? Is it adding value to them? Because it's not about a paycheck, and and I feel like if leaders out in uh, for-profit organizations could have that same mindset, you know, when when it isn't the money that's keeping the people on track, when it's really the leader and how they lead, when that is what is the the prime motivator for the people within the organization, then I, I think you've got you've got that problem solved you know people are going to show up at a level that you know money that that is short-lived that motivation is short-lived you know dave you said it exactly you said it exactly because i in my research i have found that people aren't quitting jobs they're quitting bosses there was a Gallup poll, exit Gallup poll done with all the people that were leaving because they voluntarily left, not because they got fired. Fifty Over 50% of the people said if the management had done something different, they would have stayed. Yeah. So it's, it's the management that people are leaving. And if you can tap into the secrets of leading people in a way that the, the people that aren't getting paid, then you got it for the ones that are getting paid. Now, I, I really want to know what claim stands for and and where does that come from? Well, actually, I was ruminating over this. <laughs> and how, how can I, because I know that people don't just want to be connected. They want to be claimed. They want to belong. And I took that word claim and realized, wow, that's the answer. That summarizes everything. Each letter is a facet of leadership or belonging. And um, so I, we're going to play a little game. If you, have, if you haven't done your homework, I hope you haven't. Maybe you did. But... What do you think if people want to be claimed, then they what that means is they want to be. And here's the C. What do you think the C stands for? Connection or connected. Am I close? Well, we'll, we'll call it close. I want to be chosen. <laughs> OK. They want to be chosen. I mean, think back in the elementary school when the PE coach blows the whistle and says it's time for dodgeball. And, and the two superstars know they're going to get to be team captains and they're going to choose the teams. And you got the students standing there all chest puffed out. I'm going to be picked first. And then the kid that didn't even, didn't even hear the whistle, he's reading a book and wishes he could be in the library. The psychological impact of being chosen, chosen first, and also not being chosen mm. is, is it, it's proven. So if there's some way that you can express that you have chosen your people, um, that they know that they've been selected, maybe for a specific job, or, or maybe you inherited them if you're leading and they're suddenly there, you can still say, I'm so glad that you're part of the team. My husband used to say, of course, with the first one, he could say, if all the children in all the world were lined up and God said, which one should I pick? I would choose you. Of course, then we have a son. If all the little boys, and then we have a second son. If all the three-year-olds, <laughs> you have to adapt it. But it's impactful. Think about a time when you were chosen. Either chosen in a, a selectively, the only one, or chosen to be on a job or in a situation. How did that make you feel? Important. Yeah. So people want to be chosen. Now the L is easy. Almost everybody gets this, but I didn't want to set you up for failure. <laughs> everybody wants to know that they are, what Love. do you think the L stands? Yes. 
everybody gives it. Love is important. And you mentioned it earlier when we talked about um, non-judgment, um, unconditional love. Your child messes up. You don't stop loving them. You still love them. You might not like what they, that they drew a Michelangelo looking thing with permanent marker on the wall, but you're still gonna love them, right? Or if they left their gum on the plate that got in the dishwasher and now there's little bitty beads of gum stuck all inside the dishwasher. <laughs> As if something like that ever happened. But anyway, people want to know that they're loved. And how do you show that when you're leading people? But by giving them a secure feeling that they're accepted for who they are, they're, they can express themselves and not be uh, judged. They can be, it can be discussed but they're in a safe environment where it's unconditional. And that works in the workplace, in the family, with anybody you're in a relationship with. So A, I get lots of answers for this one. So you're probably, but I'll be impressed if you get it right. People want to be- Accepted. That's, could be true too. Um, <laughs> They want to be acknowledged. Ah, yeah, okay. Acknowledged. And, you know, I've heard the quote, um, productive people are not always acknowledged, mm. but acknowledged people are always productive. Mm. We want to know that, you know, we're, we're, we're noticed. And here's a very simple, everybody can do this every day to anybody acknowledged that someone exists or is there, is one, make eye contact. And Dave, when you're out buying, paying for something at the quick stop or buying your gas or at a store or whatever, or at the restaurant, notice the person's name tag and use their name. You're acknowledging that they are, exist, that their name, because name is something personal, it's part of us. And when you, Dave, if you use someone's name, it means a lot. And if you're looking in their eyes, it means a lot. So that there's a whole lot more on that. But people want to be acknowledged. They want to be chosen, loved, acknowledged. And this one, it takes two words to say it, but they both start with an I. What do you think the I means? Chosen, loved, acknowledged, important. And if they're important, they will be <laughs> invested in. Okay, yeah. Invested in. Um, you can invest, and it doesn't have to cost you anything, time. You know how children spell love? T-I-M-E. Mm. Children spell love, T-I-M-E. You can get a lot out of just sitting on the porch, snapping beans with your children. <laughs> they don't do that anymore. Or maybe we should. Anyway, uh, if you're leading a group, are you investing in their training? Are you investing in their resources? Uh, money's always good. And and there have been companies saved because the leader invested time to write a handwritten note. When was the last time you got a handwritten note? Hmm. You had to think about it too long. It's been too long. Well, it, you know, I, I get handwritten notes. You know, my, my grandmother just passed and one of, uh, you know, I got a card from her um, and, you know, that that was important to me. Um, and and my aunt, it, it's it's interesting that the women in my family have always been very good at writing handwritten notes to me. Uh, whereas most, most people, you know, it's, it's all electronic now, like text messages and stuff. The handwritten note that comes in the mail is so, it just, it makes you feel good. You know, like they took the time to say They that. invested in you. Because they had to take the time. They invested money to buy the stamp. They invested energy to go put it in the mailbox. However, they put it in the mailbox outside or go by the post office. 
that's why it means a lot because you feel like they invested in you. So we have one more. And I already used this term some in our previous conversation, part of our conversation. People want to know that they're in. They want to know they're chosen, loved, acknowledged, invested in. Now, this could be one word or two different three-word phrases. I'm at a loss. Okay. And most people are. <laughs> so you have passed the test. You got the L. Like most people, that's the one they get. People want to know that they matter. Ah, okay. They want to know that they're made for greatness. And we talked about that. If you and and again, made for greatness doesn't mean you get the Nobel Peace Prize or you're gonna be on the cover of a magazine. It means that you are fully being human being who you're supposed to be and bringing to the world what the world is needing from you. And because of that, you matter. Now, I have an exercise that I challenge leaders with. If everyone feels like that they want to feel like they matter, stop and think about each person that you're leading and what they bring to the table. And if they didn't bring that to the table, would you miss them? Because if you wouldn't miss them, then they might be not in the right place <laughs> or uh, they might not need to be there. But people need to know that what they're contributing, they're not just a cog in the wheel, that they do matter, that what they're, they're part of a, a bigger picture, that their contribution is going to be impactful that it's purposeful and uh, influential. So that is claim. People wanna know that they are chosen and loved, acknowledged, invested in, and made for greatness. That is what people want. It came It came to me while you were talking about each one of those pieces and an exercise that I would do with new people that would come into the crew or I would get you know, somebody that was promoted and they came into the station uh, or into the battalion, tell them that, okay, I need to understand your strengths and weaknesses. Whatever weaknesses you have, we're going to, I'm going to get you with the right person. If it's not me, it'll be somebody else that is really strong in that area. And they're going to work with you to shore up those weaknesses. But there are strengths that you have that other people don't have. I want to find those strengths. I know certain things about you. Even if I didn't, I would say, you know, I know certain things about you and I want, I want you to shine. I want people to see the value that you bring to the team. So we're going to do some training and I want you to lead part of the training. What do you feel you are the strongest at? And they would tell me and I go, all right, well, I want you to be, you know, part of this training and you're going to lead that part. And, you know, I want you to work with people to help them get to the same level that you're at. And we would identify maybe one or two people that needed help in that area and they could become a mentor to those people. And that was one of the best ways to take a new person and make them an important part of the team right out of the gate. And, and it was like each one of those letters were present in that little exercise. Totally, Dave, because these are, these aren't um, separate parts. They're facets like on a diamond and they, they all fit together and fold over on each other. And you have been claiming your people all this time. You just didn't have a title to it. That's why you were able to deal with all those different kinds of people and, and have success and have them support you and accomplish the things they needed to accomplish because it, the very fact that you gave them that speech, you were choosing them to be a part of the team, letting them know they're chosen to be part of the team and you were acknowledging their differences. 
and showing them a safe environment where they can fail and not be kicked out. You were doing it, Dave. You were doing it. <laughs> but that is, so for all the people, and, and it, I gave an example within the fire service, but I mean, like you can see how that would be a great thing to do in any environment. Wherever there are people. Yeah. Because in the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you've got your physiological, you know, you need food, clothing, and shelter, then you need security, and next is belonging. And every person that's a person, unless they're an android and we don't know it, or a artificial intelligence or whatever, needs belonging. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm, I'm passionate about this, because suicides are up. Depression is high and COVID didn't help at all. Three out of four people say they experience some some element of depression. We got to fix that if the human race is going to survive. So I, I, I didn't see this in anything that I read about you. And I, I have to be honest, I, I probably could have found it, but... Uh, I, I am curious, how many books do you have out there right now? Right now, I have a cookbook that you ordered directly from me so I can sign it for you. And it's all the recipes and then some from my tea room and all those recipe, family recipes <laughs> that uh, you got to have the corn casserole. I did make corn casserole in Japan for my son's Japanese family because, you know, you got to have corn casserole. Um, I've got four books that are on Amazon that are my personal titles. Uh, two of them are the small little parenting guides, $7 or something like that. One is Molding Global Citizens, and the other one is Supporting Visionary Dreamers, how parents can help their children make a difference and uh, be, let them know they're made for greatness and bring to the world whatever their specific skills are. And I got that from looking back. Oh, that's why my daughter at 16 started writing full musicals. And that's why my son is a best-selling author in Bosnia. And that's why, you know, you look back and you go, oh, okay. I was just following what I was saw in front of me to do. Uh, the, uh, the, so those are those two the other two were devotional journals. One is for um, mothers of young children from the birth. <laughs> is, oh, the title is, is there an ox in your kitchen? Because there's a, a, a verse that says, um, without the ox, the stable is clean, but much increase comes from the oxen. In other words, do you want children or do you want a clean house? Get over it. <laughs> And uh, the other devotional is uh, like dew on a grass. It's for just women that seeking God. I've got a verse. I got a little story of how I'm either messed up or God taught me something. And then some questions to apply it to them and then pages to write their notes on. And then I'm, I'm in three chicken soup for the soul book series. I don't, are you familiar with those yeah, where yeah. they, uh, it's a compilation of 101 stories, and I'm in three of those. One is about the story of my tea room, uh, Step Outside Your Comfort Zone. One is The Forgiveness Fix, and one is Believing in Angels. And then my writer's group published for the 20th anniversary of 9-11. The 9-11, that beautiful broken day, 17 authors wrote their impressions of that day and what they remember and how it impacted either them or their family. Some of the authors had family members involved in the scene, actually. And all the proceeds from that are supporting a local uh, veteran nonprofit, military nonprofit. So, and then I've got a book that's coming out. Um, I think the title, because I've changed it about five times, is claim your people at work, how inclusive leaders keep their employees engaged and productive. February, uh, January or February. And, yes. and, and people can find all of your books 
on your website or would it be best for them to go to Amazon and type in your name? If you, well, both, but if you go to my website, I have a, a books page. If you click that, it'll take you to Amazon, but I also have some free downloadable eBooks like claim uh, in the, in the home or claim at church. So those are free eBooks. The one that's claim your people at work is, or claim in the workplace um, is in the store and it costs money, which you're welcome to buy, but, <laughs> or you can just rewatch this and I think you maybe got the concept, but yeah, my website and, and you can book a consultation or chat with me. I got a link on there for Calendly. Uh, love to hear some feedback, uh, take in some, you know, thoughts that you have about what I've talked about, especially if you don't agree with me. For those listening, do you do like one-on-one -on -one coaching or group coaching type? I things? have a number of programs that um, I, we need to find out what fits for you. I do have a um, employee's love of company survey that you can get and then, or it doesn't have to be employees. It can be your team members and do that. And then when you get the answers back, <laughs> we'll talk and decide what your next step will be. Maybe it's celebrate because everybody totally loves you and your company. Or maybe we see some places where we can work toward uh, bringing up the love meter. So the best place for people to go to, to find and connect with you would be your website via irby.com. I would say that's the best place to go. Keep right. it simple. Well, I'll, I'll have that link in the show notes. So everybody listening, make sure you, you check out Dia's website, check out her books, keep an eye out for her, her newest book um, that we'll uh, be talking about claim. And you can download the eBooks from her website. So uh, this is a win-win for everybody. I hope so. Thank you so much, Dave. You've been amazing. Uh, thanks. No, thank you so much for for having this conversation with me. This was a lot of fun, and and I really enjoyed. I'm glad that I didn't go and dig and figure out what claim meant because that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I like it when people don't do all the homework because then I can put you on the spot. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, Dia, thank you so much. And I, I hope you and your family have incredible holidays. And I, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Okay. Thanks, Dave. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review.